Welcome to the Wilton Baptist Church, where we worship God, walk with others, and win people to the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm Pastor Steve, and our congregation is pleased to share this message with you today, and we pray it'll be a blessing and an encouragement to you. Blessings as you listen or watch. We're going to talk about a supernatural delivery. There was a schoolboy who was at his desk at home starting to compose a report for class. At a loss for an appropriate introduction, he laid down his pen and sought out his mother, who happened to be in the kitchen preparing dinner. Without warning, he asked, Mother, how was I born? Mother, of course, knew this question would come one day, and uh, she was not about to start talking about human reproduction there while cooking dinner. And so she said the old saying, The stork brought you, dear. The boy nodded. He moved to the living room where his grandmother was knitting. And again, without warning, he asked his grandmother, he said, Grandma, how was my mother born? With, uh, with herself being a product of that old Victorian era, this dear lady was not about to touch that one as the grandmother. She said, my dear child, the stork brought your mother. Grandma persisted the boy. How were you born? Well, the stork brought me too, she responded. At that, he just nodded, and he went back to his desk and began to write the introduction to his paper. And he wrote in his uh, opening words, there hasn't been a normal birth in our family for at least three generations. <laughs> the, the myth of the stork is an old Germanic, European, uh, Norwegian thing. It was during what's called the pagan era back to medieval times, about 600 years ago. And in that era, a lot of couples would marry during the annual summer solstice. And that's about the time the stork birds were there in their area. Then they would fly away. And then around nine months later, the storks would come back. But those couples would also be having a baby born about that time. And so that's where that myth of an association come from. Because the following uh, spring the stork would be there when the babies were born. But here's not a myth. Here's a legitimate, a real story that we're looking at, a prophecy in Isaiah. So we're in Isaiah, then also in Matthew. The birth of Jesus is not just a special delivery. When I hear special delivery, I think of that stork bringing the, bringing the baby in that mythical story. But the birth of Christ is much more. It's a supernatural delivery. A supernatural delivery is that of Christ. In Isaiah's day, the city was afraid. The enemy armies are marching toward them. Judah and Israel have been divided for many years at this point, a divided nation, two separate nations. Jerusalem is fearful. The city of God is fearful. The people are uncertain about their future. Certainly, bloodshed and famine and sickness and economic problems are all a terrible part of any war. The young king, Ahaz, is secretly trying to make a treaty with the Assyrians, the army that's about to invade. 
Israel to the north and Syria have partnered together and they are coming to talk to Ahaz to try to convince him to join up with them against the Assyrians. But Ahaz has other plans and God has other plans for Ahaz and the people of God as well. That's when God sends Isaiah to talk to King Ahaz and to offer him a sign from God. God sends Isaiah and his son, his son's name is Shir Jasob, Shir Jasob, which means the remnant shall return, and they meet at the upper pool, a water area. Basically, they went at their water source in the city of Jerusalem to meet. God told them, that's where Ahaz is at. He's looking at his water supply because the enemy is coming. You and your son, go talk to him. I want you to tell him something. Give him a message for me. Essentially, God says this, don't be afraid of Syria. Don't, be a, don't partner with Syria and, uh, Syria rather, and Israel. And uh, don't be afraid of the Assyrians because within 65 years, these nations that are against you, they will be, you won't remember them anymore. They'll be gone. They'll be done away with. And that problem will be gone. God wants Ahaz to believe him. So let's look at these verses, and I believe they're on your screen as well. And there's a key term that is used, and sometimes we don't uh, see it right off the bat, but it's in verse 9. He tells him to believe, and then we'll get to our key text. So after Isaiah tells King Ahaz, who is really kind of desperate at this moment, he tells him in 65 years, this, these, these other enemies, they'll be broken. You won't even have them as a problem anymore. He says in verse 9, the head of Ephraim is Samaria, the head of Samaria is Ramalia, uh, Ramalia's son, and if ye will not believe, surely ye shall not be established. Believe was his lack, and biggest problem, a lack of faith. That was his biggest problem. Now notice verse 10, moreover the Lord spake again to Ahaz, saying, ask thee a sign of the Lord thy God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. So it could be something in the water, in the earth, or something up in the sky. I, I want to give you a sign. Tell me what sign you want me to give to you, and I'll give you that sign to prove to you that within 65 years, these nations who are opposing you will be no longer a threat to you. So ask the sign of the Lord. But Ahaz said in verse 12, I will not ask, neither will I tempt the Lord. Sounds kind of spiritual, but God does not like his answer and he said, Hear ye now, O house of David, is it a small thing for you to weary men, but will ye weary my God also? Therefore, and here's the promise that we always associate with Matthew. It's a twofold promise, a twofold prophecy. Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign, Ahaz. Ahaz, you're going to get this sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. That word Emmanuel being God with us. Butter and honey shall he eat that he may know how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the child shall know to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land that thou abhorrest shall be forsaken of both her kings. The enemy kings will be deposed and done away with. This is a promise to Ahaz. It's a promise or prophecy to Ahaz. And it's also a prophecy about Jesus Christ, who is the ultimate fulfillment of these verses. But it all goes back to verse 9, believe. Would you believe? If you will not believe, surely ye shall not be established. All of us can ask the Lord, increase my faith today. In this Christmas season, increase our faith that we would trust the Lord. 
Now, whatever the circumstance may be, any time a woman is with child, it's a good thing by the grace of God to deliver that child. This woman that God tells Ahaz about is not just many young women. And some commentators will say, well, there must have been a rash of, of young women who get pregnant, and then they name their kids Emmanuel. That's not what's taking place here. There are two children that are born in chapter 7 and chapter 8. There's one in each chapter. And then there is the third child, that being Jesus Christ, who is ultimately who this passage is speaking of. So there's not a sudden rash of of uh, names trending, Emmanuel in the uh, local Jerusalem news, all these babies being born, boys named Emmanuel. It's more than that. A particular virgin sign was promised to King Ahaz. Now, who's King Ahaz? King Ahaz is not a good guy. He is one of the evil kings of Judah. And this is an amazing interaction that God has with him. Now, around 718, BC, so around 700 years, so between 718, 734, somewhere in there is where all these events are taking place. And as far as we know, the most notable event is the, the Assyrians coming and the Assyrians and the, uh, the northern tribes of Israel uh, all fighting together. These are the main things that take place during his reign and him trying to make this treaty with the Assyrians. Ahaz does not go out into the field of battle. From what we're told, we know that he, he fortifies Jerusalem. He builds up his, uh, his, his surrounding um, encampment around Jerusalem and tries to defend it, and that's what he does. Now, Isaiah tries to encourage this faint-hearted king, pointing out that his enemies have no prospect of success or of a long existence. But Ahaz is a bad character. Here's how bad he was. He sacrificed his own son on an altar in some kind of pagan ritual. This is just so disgusting to think about. It's such an ironic thing and poetic thing as well that God would tell him, I'm sending my son to truly deliver this world. He's a bad king. In 2 Kings chapter 16, verses 2 through 3, 20 years old was Ahaz when he began to reign and reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. He did not that which was right in the sight of the Lord God, like David his father, but he walked in the way of the kings of Israel. Yea, and he made his son pass through the fire. That's, an, that's a passage, that's a statement, that's a phrase that means he laid his son on an altar that was on fire, a fire sacrifice, his own child. That's what that phrase is when you see it throughout the Old Testament. A lot of times it's to Baal, uh, some kind of a false pagan image that they would place their babies on as a sacrifice. This is what he did. This is the type of man that he is. is imagine this, that the Lord gives this two-part prophecy to this man who sacrificed his son, maybe to, to appease some false god. I need some deliverance, so I'll give up my firstborn, my only child at this point. Or maybe he was totally into this Baal worship. I believe that's the case. He was totally into the false gods of that era instead of the one true God. So he's known as an evil king. And how incredible this is that God tells him, I will send you a son born of a virgin that will prove to you my statement that I'm going to deliver you from your enemy today. This prophecy has a twofold understanding. Now, some prophecy has immediate results, and then it has sometimes a later on time where something takes place. This is an example of that. 
Here's another example of that. Genesis 3.15 is proto-evangelum verse of the Old Testament. This is a promise of the Messiah. I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. If you go back and read this passage, it's God talking to the serpent and telling him, you're going to slither. I'm going to put enmity here between you, and here's what's going to happen. Jesus is going to crush you. Now, from this point on, the serpent slithers, and later on when Jesus Christ rises from the dead, he deals a death blow, a crushing blow to Satan. So that's a twofold promise. I mean, it took place then, literally, Satan, the serpent then, is slithering on the ground instead of walking about, however that would be, just our imagination, we don't know for certain how that would look. But then it had a later on effect. Jesus Christ came. Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose again. This is the first reference to an evangelical uh, moment, this moment when Christ would come. Evangelism would take place. Salvation and deliverance would take place. Now, Ahaz marries this virgin in verse 14. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and thou shalt call his name Emmanuel. This prophecy is not about Isaiah and his wife. Now, if you're a student of the Bible, you read through Isaiah, and a lot of commentators will. They'll look at chapter 7. They'll look at chapter 8, the first few verses of chapter 8. God talks to Isaiah. God says, I want to tell you about your son. And then the verse 4 says, he goes to the prophetess, and the prophetess, the prophetess, isn't that a great name? The prophetess, it's Isaiah's wife. She bears a son. And there's a real fancy name for him. It's Meir Shalah Hazbaz. That's in verse 3, rather. Verse 3 of chapter 8. I don't believe this version conceiving is about that, uh, that baby because Isaiah already had an older son with the prophetess. And so it must be a different version. Someone else is going to give birth in this time frame. So there are two babies, however, Three altogether when you include in the future, 700 years later, when Christ is born. Now, Isaiah's first son is Shir Jashab. That means the remnant shall return. He's in chapter 7. His second son is Meir Shalahazbaz, which means in making speed to the spoil, he hasteth the prey. In other words, God is saying, the remnant shall return. One day I'll bring them back, and I'm going to speed this thing up. And Ahaz, I want you to know, my promise to you, the virgin shall conceive. And before this uh, child is, is old, before maybe two or three, some would say before he was age 12 uh, in their culture, they would say because of age of accountability and things, before he's at a certain age, these enemies would be gone. And history also tells us exactly what Chapter 7, verse 8 says it was 65 years. Those nations were gone, and Israel then had other things that they were dealing with at the time. Now, Ahaz marries this virgin girl. Her name is Abby. Sometimes you'll find the name Abijah in the Bible. She's the daughter of Zechariah. And um, he becomes the son. He becomes a king of Judah as well. His name is Hezekiah. You can go back through all the genealogies and see what takes place. King Hezekiah's story is found in 2 Kings 18, and he is a good king. He's a good king. Before this young son is old enough to tell right from wrong, the kingdoms oppressing the nation of Judah will be gone, and that's exactly what took place. Hezekiah is born, and he's a good king of Judah. In fact, outside of David 
in Solomon. He's the best king. He's the best one. This is just such an amazing thing that takes place. In 2 Kings chapter 18, verse 5, he trusted in the Lord God of Israel, so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor any that were before him. There was no king like this king, Hezekiah. So here's a by the way. By the way, mothers, mothers, you have a great influence on the direction of your home. Abby changes the direction of the home of this King Ahaz, who's a wicked king who had sacrificed his firstborn son, and changes direction to, to the point that, of all the kings in Israel, number three, number three in the list of best kings is their son. Absolutely incredible King Hezekiah. Before marriage consumption or uh, consummation, um, Ahaz, with Ahaz, Abby, of course, is a virgin. The word virgin is the Hebrew term alma, indicates a young woman of marriageable age. In the ancient world, a young unmarried woman who had reached puberty could reasonably be, be assumed to be a virgin because of the close social and familial restrictions on her activity. So, Today, we could assume that most teenagers are virgins, but we may assume wrong if we assume that. There are many moral traps that capture a young person's heart and mind even before they become physically impure. Adultery, fornication happens generally in the heart before it happens in the body. In fact, in Buffalo, New York, I understand about 75 out of every 1,000 teenage girls in their school system are pregnant every year. 75 out of one, every 1,000, and it's a large school system. There's big programs to try to reduce the numbers of pregnancies there, but here's what some of them actually say. They'll say, I got pregnant for the money from the government. It's just a terrible, terrible stat, terrible reality of what's taking place. The Latin phrase is Virgo intacta, means an untouched maiden. The Hebrew term alma, it's a root word which means to hide, to lie hidden, to lie hidden. Virgins were kept closely away from the gaze of men. That's interesting. It's not even just the physical part, but they were kept away from the gaze of men, and they were kept protected in their parents' custody. That's the Eastern culture then. Here's a woman whose moral dignity and sexual purity is clean, and uh, perhaps it would indicate because of the lack of a men's gaze, she wore modest clothing so that men couldn't gaze at her. And even protecting herself by never being alone with a man or even a teenage boy for that matter. That's what the word virgin indicates, the word alma in this Hebrew term. Now, there's a different term that's used in Matthew 1.23, but it's directly connected. The whole idea. Here's a virgin that's going to conceive. In Matthew 1, 23, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted as God with us. And all this was part of the prophecy. Look at this connection, verse 22. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet. So here's Ahaz, and here is Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus. And there's an immediate connection a virgin is with child. Now, here is a miracle, a miraculous, supernatural delivery, that of Christ. When the prophecy was given to Abby and Ahaz, of course, she 
was no longer a virgin after that, but at the time the prophecy was given, she was a virgin. But now she's not. She gets married and they have their child. But Jesus, or the Lord rather, connects that child with the baby Jesus. Abby then would serve as a type or a picture of the Virgin Mary. And of course, Hezekiah then, being the good king, God with us, he's the one who brought the people back to the Lord, being the the third greatest king, um, lover of God in Israel and Judah. Now, there would be more destruction of Israel and Judah in the future, but God fulfilled his promise to Ahaz. See, there's a lot of introduction. This is all the backstory to this event, the, the event of Christ's coming. Our seemingly insurmountable problems are not insurmountable with God. Ahaz, I, I'll give you some hope. Virgin's going to conceive, bear a son, and got him, call him God with us. There's going to be a change that takes place. I will deliver you. Think about your life. Our lives are so temporary. Does that mean that our problems are temporary? In 65 years, you're going to be delivered. Yeah, 65 years, it seems like a lot to us, but when you think about eternity, it's temporary. Ahaz kills his firstborn to a, to, as a sacrifice to a false god, but Jesus offers a permanent solution to death, and death for the Christian is a temporary problem. Ahaz's problem, major problem, was faith. We must believe God. Isaiah's prophecy is not only for Ahaz, but for us as well. A virgin did conceive and bore a son, and we call his name because they called his name Jesus. So whatever problems we have, know this. Jesus is the permanent solution to our potentially temporary problems. He's the permanent solution to our temporary problems problems. Sin indicates permanence. When we think about sin, we think it's powerful, but God's more powerful. Life is more powerful than death. Jesus is more powerful than Satan. When we think about our sin and and we think, oh, it's so powerful, but the gospel is more powerful. And sin itself and hell and death, they're cast into the lake of fire. And there's a future that we have that's free of sin and free of death, and free of suffering, and free of pain. And that's all found because of and through the person of Jesus Christ. And he'll cleanse us. And the problem of the wages of sin, death, will be gone forever. But we tend to look at our problems as permanent. And sometimes we look for permanent solutions. But Jesus is permanent, and he is the permanent solution to our potentially temporary problems. In ancient Israel, naming, the naming of a baby had great significance. They, would, they wouldn't just be like, uh, hey, what's the most popular name uh, back in 700 B.C. In the, in the Jerusalem times? We're going to look it up, you know, and, and we'll use that name. Ben's a good name. Let's use Ben. Ben's a good name, good Hebrew name. And so uh, we'll just use that. They didn't, they didn't do that. They, they looked at events or situations and scenarios and, and not even just naming after someone's previous ancestors even. You know, John's a great name. Let's call him John. There's more, there's, there's more to it than that. He had greater significance, more than just a family member or a fad or some other thing. They had a great transparency in a name. And if you, if you understood Hebrew language, and if you, you were talking to Hebrew people, and they would say a name, it always would have some kind of a greater significance behind it. For example, 
the name Benjamin. It means son of the right hand. The son of the right hand. A place of significance in their culture. And uh, it's just an important thing. A position of honor. Son of my right hand. But when... Uh, whenever Rachel gave birth to Benjamin, she actually called him Ben-Oni. Ben-Oni means son of my pain. She was thinking about the pain. She called him Ben-Oni, and then dad says, well, let's call him Benjamin instead. You see, there's some significance. He has some reasonings behind that. As Rachel was dying in childbirth, that's what she said. But he said, he's going to be the son of my right hand. Isaiah and King Ahaz and Mother Abby and the good son Hezekiah are the back story and the foreshadow to the birth of Christ. But the complete fulfillment of Isaiah 7:14 is Jesus Christ. He's the one. But it's always good to know the back story. Sometimes we just connect these dots and don't look at the bigger picture of what took place back then, 2,700 years ago. We just look back at Christ himself. Now, here's our story in Matthew 1. So here's, fast forward 700 years. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When, as his mother Mary was a spouse to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived of her is of the Holy Ghost. And she brought forth, she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the prophet by the uh, of the Lord by the prophet saying behold a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son and thou shalt call his name Emmanuel which being interpreted as God with us then Joseph being raised from sleep dead as the angel of the Lord had bidden him and took unto him his wife and knew her not until she had brought forth her firstborn son and he called his name Jesus the delivery of Christ is not just a special delivery it's a supernatural delivery. Jesus is the permanent solution to a potentially temporary problem. So here's some questions. Are you afraid? Are you afraid? You think that Ahaz was afraid back in Isaiah? Absolutely. Uh, was Mary and Joseph kind of afraid of their time and what's happening? Oh, absolutely with what was going on. But there are times when we're afraid, but here's the answer to the Christian, for the Christian. At times when we're afraid, God with us. I'll give you a sign. Call his name Jesus. God with us. Our city is surrounded. The enemies are here. Our northern neighbors want us to join up with them, but we don't want to join up with them. And Isaiah is here to encourage me. What am I supposed to do? I, I, I don't know what to do with the, the enemy all around. I'll give you a sign. God with us. When you're afraid, Christian, you can always know this. God with me. He's with us. In Psalm 56, 3, David articulated, What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. Keep trusting God. You may be fearful of something right now. We don't have to live in constant fear. We don't have to be afraid all the time because God with us.
Isaiah 41.10, fear thou not, for I am with thee. God told that to Isaiah, fear not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee. I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. What a great promise Isaiah receives. And that carries over to us as well, because God is with you. God is with me. What are you afraid of today? In Matthew 14, verses 24 through 27, here are the disciples. They're in a boat. You ever been in a boat or a, a ship or an airplane or a bus ride, and you're just like afraid, uh, praying that this thing will land in one piece? Hey, here's, here's a great way to look at this. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary and in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is the Spirit. And they cried for fear. But straightway, Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. And friends, Christians, we have something the disciples didn't have until Christ left the earth. Jesus is always with us. He'd go up on, on a mountain to pray. He'd be off on the, on the shore when they were in a boat. They'd be away and separated from each other on many different occasions. But the Holy Spirit of Christ dwells within you, and God is with you today. Whatever you may be afraid of, God with us. That's the answer. Here's the second question. Do you ever feel alone? Lonely? Lonely? Well, that can happen as well. That, can, that feeling can happen to Isaac. Here's what the Lord says. In Genesis 26, the Lord appeared unto him in the same night and said, I am the God of thy Abraham, uh, God of uh, thy father Abraham. Fear not, for I am with thee. I will bless thee and multiply thy seed for my servant Abraham's sake. I feel like I'm, a, I'm alone. I'm not, I don't have anyone else. Jeremiah, same thing. Chapter 15, verse 20, I will make unto thee uh, unto this people a fenced brazen wall, and they shall fight against thee. But they shall not prevail against thee, for I am with thee to save thee and to deliver thee, saith the Lord. At times in Jeremiah's ministry and life, you felt like I'm all alone. I'm the only one who loves God. Uh, no one else is here for the Lord. I'm just a solitary, single person here who loves God. But that wasn't true. There were others. But he felt like that, and God said, I'm right here with you. You ever feel alone? I feel distant. I, I am not connected with people. I, I feel like I don't have anybody there for me. God's right there for you, Christian. He's right there in your life, in your heart. Joshua 3, verse 7, the Lord said to Joshua, This day will I begin to magnify thee in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. Joshua had a great promise. Just like Moses, yes. Was he with him? Was God with him? Yes. And as Christians, is God with us? Yes. Just like Joshua, yes, he's with us as well. In Hebrews 13, 5, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, yet I love this, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. I feel alone. Christmas season, a lot of times people get sad, a seasonal oppressive disorder. They get, they get disappointed because of the weather. They, get, they feel cold all the time, and it feels like there's so many things going on. They, these people have this party, and they have this party, and I, I'm overwhelmed. There's so much to do, and I feel like I'm all alone, and I'm the only one who thinks the way that I think, and, and there's just different things that oppress against us, especially during the holidays. 
different nuances for every person. Whenever you feel alone, God is still with you. No matter what your feeling is, focus on that fact. God is with me. How about when you're attacked? In the very next chapter, in Matthew, Herod attempts to kill Jesus, and he takes out all the towns around Bethlehem, all the babies, two years old and under, all the, all the baby boys. Here's a little picture, a couple pictures I have. I've been to this location, these caves, called the Cave of Innocence. It's around a place where Jerome was doing his uh, translating work. And it's in the cave area where very possibly Jesus was born. There's a whole bunch of caves. Here's another picture of this. Many years ago, archaeologists or country folk who lived there in Bethlehem found hundreds, hundreds of infant bones in those caves. I mean, about 500 infant bones from the time when Herod had massacred all the baby boys two years and under trying to get to the newborn king. You see, Jesus was attacked right from the very start. You ever feel attacked? Feels like people are against me. Stuff is against me. Life is against me. People are opposing me. Ultimately, Satan is against us. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. That's the Lord. That's Jesus. Do you ever feel like I'm being attacked? Well, remember this. God is with me. You and God make an army that nobody can really defeat. Finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So when you're attacked, just remind yourself, God is with me. And then our last idea would be this. Not only in times when we're afraid or alone or attacked, but God is with us all the time. Emmanuel, God is with us in our nature, in our sorrow, in our life work, in our punishment, in our grave. He's with us in life, in death, and he's with us in resurrection, in ascension, in triumph, in, in the second advent splendor. C.H. Spurgeon captured that idea right. And I like how Athanasius said, he became what we are that he might make us what he is. That's when God came to earth. God with us. Here's the fourth idea. Astray. Astray. Are you astray? Why did God come to be with us on this earth? So that we could have forgiveness of our sin. So that we could come back to God. Those who were astray in our sin, which was all of us, we can come back to God. Well, Adam and Eve and all took place there with sin in the garden. Separated us from God. Now, there's an open door. Now, there's a gift to unwrap, being Christ. Now, there's the opportunity for forgiveness, to accept the love of God, to believe the gospel for yourself. Ultimately, sin is that biggest problem that we face. Every one of us. But as powerful as sin is, Jesus, through his resurrection, is more powerful. That's the whole reason he came. It's what we're celebrating at Christmas. 
1 Corinthians 15, 56, the sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. Galatians 3, 22, but the scripture hath concluded all under sin that the promise of faith or by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. And Romans 5, 12, wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. But who was the one who came to rescue us? It's Christ. God with us. So Jesus is the permanent solution to our temporary problem being sin. And they called his name Jesus, Matthew 121. They called his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Have you trusted Christ for yourself? Believe the gospel today, yourself, personally. Confess him as your Lord and Savior. Confess your sin, repent from that, turn around, believe the gospel. And then Christian friend, Think about your life today. Let's rejoice in Jesus Christ. And whenever we feel alone or afraid or attacked, let's remember God with us. May the Christmas gifts remind us of God's greatest gift, his son. May the Christmas candles remind us of him who is the light of the world. May the Christmas trees remind us of another tree upon which he died. May the Christmas cheer remind us of him who said, be of good cheer. May the best Christmas feast we enjoy remind us that he is the bread of life. And may the bells of Christmas remind us of the glorious proclamation of his birth. May the carols of Christmas remind us of the song the angels sang, Glory to God in the highest. And may this Christmas season remind us of our King of kings and our Lord of lords who became us, who dwelt with us, Emmanuel, God with us. What a supernatural delivery. Let's take some time to pray together. Thank you for your good participation on this beautiful day to celebrate Christ. Are you afraid? What are you afraid of? Remember this, God is with me. Are you alone? I feel alone right now. God is with you. You feel attacked. There'll be times that you feel attacked. In our attack, God is with me. Maybe God has encouraged or challenged or helped you with one of those things, afraid, alone, or attacked. And I thank God. I'm just going to remember this. This is my prayer. God, help me that, to remember that you are with us. You're with me in these moments. And they're just temporary moments, but you're the permanent solution you're always with me. I thank the Lord for that. Anybody, God spoke to you about one of those three? All right, God bless you. You can put your hands up. Yeah, you can put your hands down. Thank you very much. Are you astray in sin? Be saved today. Trust the gospel for yourself. If you would, talk to me following the service, and you can believe the gospel, and you can know Jesus as your Lord and Savior as well. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this beautiful Christmas season. We thank you for this prophecy Twice, twice fulfilled with the time frame of Isaiah and Abby and Zechariah and Hezekiah being born. Lord, we thank you for all of that, a picture and looking forward to the promise, the prophecy of Jesus. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son and call his name Jesus. Lord, we thank you that you came to save us, rescue us, deliver us from our sins, and we thank you that you're with us even on this day. Lord, encourage us with these truths as we go about the busy week, and we pray for one without Christ, that today they would believe the gospel for themselves. 
We thank you for the new family that joined today. We thank you for each one who's gathered here and also watching online. We pray that you'll bless as, as only you can. We pray this and rejoice in Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. Well, Merry Christmas, everyone. Please check out the Christmas card table. There's probably a card out there for you. And so please check that out on the way out. And also, I hope to see you next week for Prophecies of Christmas. Awana will let you know. We'll try to contact you around 2 o'clock after we look at what's happening with the weather. Have a great rest of the day. God bless. Thank you.